Hi everyone, welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode. And I'm Ishwarya. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, and much more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to patreon.com slash desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd like to thank our latest patrons, Dia Arora, Suri, Vibor Mahajan, Gavini Himesheka, Krishma Nair, and so many more. Thank you for all the support you give in helping run this podcast. She said that she wanted a break from the relationship. I asked her if I should at least hope that she will come back. She said no because she wanted to stay single for some time and that might change things for her. I could not accept that. End quote. Parse through any teenage high schooler's diary and words like these are all too easy to find. Breaks versus breakups, situationships versus relationships, boyfriend versus ex-boyfriend. These duels define adolescence. We've all been through some version of it. But as we retrospect, we cringe at that bygone era. Of course, we are older now. Now we are too mature to put up with these silly little dramas. The same insecurities do not haunt us anymore. Or do they? Deep down in our psyche, are we still that insecure teenage kid? You see, some folks just never grow up. And those words you just heard weren't of a teenager, but a grown man. Sometimes, not growing up, not getting out of the shell of puberty, can have adverse consequences in your adulthood, for you and for your partner. This is the story of a man still trapped in a teenage drama of his own making. This is the story of Anuj Kumar. Hello everyone. My name is Anuj Kumar. Through this video, I am going to tell you what I have done in Excels. This video will get you to see my Excels. So, you have to see the whole video last time. You will also know that my Excels was justified or not. वो जस्टिफाई तो नहीं कर सकते किसी भी वर्ड पर क्योंकि जो मैं करने जा रहा हूँ वो जस्टिफेबल नहीं है तो स्टार्ट करते हैं Hi everyone, my name is Anuj Kumar and in this video I will tell you about what I did, about my actions. You will find out about what actions I'm referring to, so kindly watch the whole video to find out whether my actions were justified or not. I guess you can't justify them because I am about to do the unjustifiable. End quote. Eshwara, these are the first 24 seconds of a 22-minute perpetrated suicide note wow. a student at a prestigious Noida university sent around to his peers and university officials just minutes before committing what he himself calls an unjustifiable action. Aran, you don't even have to give me any further rundown of details for me to guess which case you're talking about. And that's not because the case is well known or anything. It just so happens that the case hits a little too close to home for both of us. It happened at a university that we all know too well. 
And I guess that was one of the driving reasons that compelled me to cover it, right? The case we have for you today occurred a few weeks ago on May 18th in Greater Noida at the Shiv mm-hmm. Nadu University. Many of you might not know this, but both Ishwarya and I graduated from this university's sister school, the Shiv Nadu School. Both of us were, in fact, subtle brag here, head boy and head girl <laughs> at the same time and got a chance to establish relationships with faculty across the school and the university as well. Yep. Even today, so many of our friends and juniors study at the university. Anything with Shiv Nadir in it, whether a school or a university or a brand, it just feels like home. Absolutely. It feels so integral to our adolescence. I know we've been talking about someone else's adolescence right. right now, but it feels so integral to our own. And I remember I was back in, I think, the eighth or the ninth grade. I had spent an entire summer at the Shivnari University for their basketball high school camp. So oh, yeah, even the university, even though we're from the school, like we've had ties to the university. We've visited the university. We've been there. We've met the students, met the professors. So, yeah, this is all very, very close. Yeah, I spent about a week at SNU, the Shivnada University in Greater Noida for a similar, I think, a science program, maybe in grade 9th or 10th. Mm-hmm. But we all have yeah. those ties to this university. And you're right, it characterized our adolescence. You know, high school mm-hmm. is such an integral part of anybody's life. You know, even an yeah. adult, we reminisce about it. And um, so this case, I think, for that reason and many more stood out. And so when my inbox pinged on the morning of May 18th, approximately afternoon India time, I was jolted. A DM from a friend had me sitting in my bed upright. The DM was on the lines of, you have to cover this case. This video is insane. I went haywire, Ashwara, looking for this video that he was talking about, (laughs) trying to get my head around what exactly had gone down at such a familiar and prestigious institution. And finally, after reading the preliminary facts, another friend was able to get me access to that video, the, quote, insane video. Being able to access the video and talk to enrolled students at the university convinced me to cover this case. All right. So, Aryan, you have to tell us now what happened on May 18th that captured your attention more so than any other case. I mean, you rarely talk about your cases like this, being so proud of what you've covered and being so intrigued. Aryan has told me not to, absolutely not to look up anything related to this case, which is a demand he seldom makes. But um, so, yeah, what what happened? For that, Ishwara, we have to go all the way back to your hometown, Greater okay. Noida, to a not Thursday. My hometown. Thursday, May 18th. You see, Greater Noida falls in the Delhi NCR region and is an extension of my hometown, Noida, ergo Greater Noida. Greater Noida is known for many things, or rather infamous for many things. The city, at least in the eyes of outsiders, is ridden with violence, rape, thugs, drugs, and so forth. It's a small little Desi crime podcast unto itself. As an erstwhile resident of this uh, great city, Ishwara, would you agree with how outsiders view it? All right. So firstly, Greater Noida, not my hometown. Uh, my family's just lived there for the last many years. But uh, <laughs> Ergo hometown. <laughs> no, no, not home. <laughs> no, no, but I understand where this image of Greater Noida comes. It was a very in the process of developing city for the last many, many years. It was a very mm-hmm. uh, rural population that was primarily moving to Greater Noida in order to establish, you know, ties without having to go all the way to Delhi. And so it had a certain demography 
because it was so far removed from the bigger cities like Noida and Delhi, crime and the police's way of tackling all of it wasn't necessarily as robust as, as the bigger cities. And so you would hear of cases, you would hear of a certain kind of demography and a certain kind of crime that was incredibly common. But it's all changing now as better institutions get set up, as law and order establishes itself. It's a mm. very well-planned and new city. And I think it's absolutely wonderful to live in now. But obviously, it has an underbelly that's existed for many years. Yeah, for all the development, you still aren't willing to call it your hometown, even though you've probably spent a formative <laughs> seven to eight years of your life living Fine, there. Um, my that's hometown. how you, you can't. It's like calling, you know, I, I wish I could call New York my hometown, but I've barely lived there. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, Delhi NCR is my hometown, even if I don't identify with the residents sure, there. But, sure. but, but for all the hearsay about Greater Noida, much of which I agree with, to be frank, the city is known for another burgeoning industry, private universities. A mm-hmm. Sunday drive through the Great Noida Expressway would reveal uniquely named universities flanked on either side. It starts with Amity and Noida to Bennett University, Sharda University, Mangalmay University, and the list goes on and on and on. And many of these universities are rather shoddy and appear more like capital ventures rather than educational mm-hmm. institutions. Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, because in this vast stretch of institutions, you will find many gems. One such gem is the Shivnadar University. It's not as conspicuously situated as the other universities. You need to drive deep into the hinterlands of Greater Noida, to the furthest stretches of the NCR region to reach there. It's a long and wobbly ride from what I remember when I first visited. But once you're in, Greater Noida evaporates. You're left with the best-in-class infrastructure and technology, sports facilities, playing fields, science buildings, anything you'd expect from a prestigious Boston college, you'd find it at Shivnadar University. And that's precisely why what happened here on May 18th, 2023, shocked everyone. Summer break was nearing, and so was the much-anticipated convocation. That's the time you bid your seniors adieu and in quintessential fashion, they toss their scholars' hats into the air to rejoice the completion of college life. It's a bittersweet time at any campus with tears of joy and reminiscence flowing endlessly. Nonetheless, it's a happy time. The convocation at Shivnada University was scheduled for 26th May. And so on this day, the preparations were in full sway. Since summer break was around the corner, many students had returned to their homes anyway. The university wasn't packed the way I remember it, but it wasn't desolate either. Students could be seen here or there working away at their designated convocation duties. Beside them, the faculty and the general staff were present as well. Everything was going per normal. After all, this isn't the first convocation at SNU. This university was founded in 2011 and is a common name in the higher education lexicon. It has seen many a convocations. But what was said to be a textbook day was turned on its head by an email. This email was sent to 11 people on the campus. The recipients included a student and some authorities. It was sent by a second-year sociology student named Anuj Kumar. The authorities received the email at 1.20pm in the afternoon. The email was titled, Suicide Note. Chuck the convocation. That was now a distant memory. It was the university's prerogative to find Anuj and prevent him from taking his life, if at all he was being serious. 
As this anomalous email scrambled the authorities, another anomaly jolted the campus body simultaneously. At around 1.30 p.m., merely 10 minutes after the jarring email surfaced, a few students stumbled across the unconscious body of a fellow student in the canteen. These students have no idea that an email titled Suicide Note is making the rounds. Regardless, the convulsing body on the ground, it's not Anuj. It's a female student. It's Sneha. Sneha Churasya is a third-year student who also happens to be pursuing sociology. So, Aran, do we have any logic for why it was these specific 11 people that were sent this email by Anuj? Is there any logic? Is it like Anuj's professors? Or is it people high up in the hierarchy of the school administration? Or is it just like a completely random group of 11 people? I would say they were recipients. Um, it was a calculated decision because the recipients included higher ups in the administrative body um, mm-hmm. that he had uh, talked and dealt with before for things in the past because, you know, he's been at the university for a while. Um, mm, okay. And it also included within the recipients another student um, that right. we'll get to later. But aside from that, can you imagine how shocked the students that came across this body must be? Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but at at worst, bereft of any context, an unconscious student would appear to be an injury or a heart attack. Right. Neither of those students were prepared to find out what they eventually did. This was no ordinary injury. When the campus physician appeared on the scene and evaluated Sneha, he discovered bullet wounds. Three bullets had perforated her body. Oh, my God. 20-year-old Sneha was dead. Simultaneously, authorities were dispatched to locate Anuj. The natural course of action was to rush to his allotted dorm room, room 108, on the first floor of the boys' dormitory. Anuj, open the door. Anuj, open the door. They were met with radio silence. They forced entry and the room was empty. Perhaps a glimmer of hope caught their eye. You know, suicides are all too common in Indian institutions and they're symbolized by the archetypal hanging from the fan. Mm -hmm. That sort of suicide is etched in our memories from movies like Three Idiots and it was very likely that those on scene feared a similar setup. Alas, the room was empty. No rope, no fan, no Anuj. But that didn't mean that their job was over. They still had to find the purportedly suicidal kid. And it didn't take them long to do so. As they climbed up the stairs to the third floor of the male dormitory, the contents of room 328 smothered any hope that might have arisen from the empty room. They entered room 328 and they found him. They found Anuj, also unconscious. It didn't require a post-mortem report of forensic experts to deduce what occurred. Blood was splattered all around and a bullet wound marred his forehead. 21-year-old Anuj Kumar had shot himself dead. In a matter of 10 minutes, the university was witness to two unnatural deaths, both students. It did not make sense. Oh my God. All right. So I think I have some questions, Aryan. Firstly, you mentioned Sneha being found unconscious in a school hallway. I would assume one of like a corridor with classes on both sides, something of that nature. The school was that desolate that nobody saw or heard Sneha be shot three times. So it's not just the fact that she was unconscious, but the fact that there were bullets fired, shots fired within the school confines. Nobody heard that. 
Ashwara, so she was shot in the canteen and mm-hmm. uh, from later videos that emerged that we'll get to, the canteen was empty at this point. Um, okay. As for the sound of the bullets, I think, I don't know why the students came to the site of the incident, but whatever it might have been, whether it was happenstance or the sound of the bullets, they were there in minutes like after this incident occurred. The bodies were rushed to the nearby Yatharth hospital where they were pronounced dead on the scene. Cops were called, students were dispersed, early vacation was announced, the convocation was cancelled. But questions remained unanswered and new questions came to light. Are these deaths related? Who killed whom? What the hell happened? To answer these questions and many more, Ashwara, I interviewed a 12th grade student from a Noida school who knew Anuj and Sneha very intimately. Mm. Shorya Bhartiya was kind enough to come to the show to talk about them, the case, and share details with us that are otherwise contested or absent in our media sphere. Shorya, how do you know Anuj and Sneha? So my connection with Anuj and Sneha as a high schooler, it goes back about a year in June itself. Um, so last year in June itself, when I went for an internship at SNU, it's this internship that they do for like young children and it's led by students of that university itself. And we were mm. mentored by certain students and we lived with them, spent every minute with them. And two of these mm. students from the university were Anuj and Sneha. And in fact, I stayed with Anuj and spent quite a lot of time with them for about a week and 10 days ish. So would you say Anuj was a mentor to you for that particular course that you were part of? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, before I dive into um, the tragedy that ensued and sort of the questions that arise from that, just to backtrack a little to the day the tragedy happened, right? How did you find out about what occurred and what was your response? So the way I found out was really abrupt. So uh, for the internship, actually, um, quite quite a big group of students went. And one of my f- um, friends just called me and told me, just just so out of the blue, uh, uh, after a random conversation about school, was just, by the way, did you hear the news? Uh, our mentors, Anuj and Sneha, they're both dead. And well, and then after that, my mom called me, so I had to cut the call. So that's all I heard. And then I went into the living room and I had a conversation with my brother who actually is in that university. And he told me there's been some tragedy in his university and somebody, um, you know, has murdered a person and then mm. killed themselves. And then I connected the dots over there and then it just hit <laughs> me. I know the person. And yeah, it was quite a shock. Shorya didn't just have to connect hypothetical dots to arrive at the conclusion that he did Ashwarya, that Anuj killed Sneha. The very same day, CCTV footage from outside the dining hall was accessed by the investigators. The video is graphic. We will include a link in our show notes, but viewer discretion is strongly advised. It's a blurry video of what the cops later ascertained to be Anuj and Sneha. They appear to be arguing, hands flailing around. You can clearly tell that they're in the canteen of an Indian university because you can see the chairs folded around the dining table. It is an all too familiar scene with a very unfamiliar event transpiring. 10 seconds into the video, Anuj appears to pull something out of a bag that seems to distress Sneha. And then it appears 
that Anuj opens fire. Sneha stumbles backward, perhaps an attempt to run and save herself. But he fires again and again, and Sneha falls to the ground. Anuj stares at her for a couple of seconds, picks up the bag he retrieved the gun from, and with an eerie air of resolve, walks out of the canteen, leaving Sneha to bleed to her death. It was just minutes after this video was recorded that fellow students found Sneha in the same spot her assailant had left her. Why Anuj? Why? Everyone at the university, the cops included, wondered. Why waste a young life? And in doing so, why waste yours as well? What happened between these two? Was this planned or in the heat of the moment? Were they strangers or did the two twenty-somethings know each other? And before all of that, who even were they? The answers to all these baffling questions was in the very email that marked the beginning of this unfortunate odyssey. The email titled Suicide Note also had a link to a Google Drive folder. In the hurry of scrambling to find Anuj and encountering Sneha's lifeless body, nobody had the time to carefully pass through the 23-minute-long video attached in that email. But eventually, they watched it. And so did we. This 23-minute video is shared from Anuj Kumar's personal email ID. It was created at 10.41am on 18th May itself, just hours before Anuj decided to act upon his impulses. Thanks to friends at the university, we too got access to the full video. And after much conversation, Ashwara and I decided that we aren't gatekeepers to information. And hence, unlike other media outlets, we'll make this video publicly available in its full length. Since it is mostly in Hindi, we have also translated and transcribed the audio as well. Non-Hindi speakers can read the transcript in our show notes and follow along with snippets that we will feature in this episode or while watching the whole video for yourself. Keep in mind that this video is by the alleged perpetrator. His testimony should not be treated as the biblical truth. मैं कभी किसी को फालतू परेशान नहीं करता था कभी किसी को कुछ उल्टा सीधा नहीं बोलता था पढ़ाई में बहुत अच्छा था स्पोर्ट्स में बहुत अच्छा था नेशनल लेवल का प्लेयर था एथलेटिक में बहुत सब कुछ सही चल रहा था बढ़िया फिर मैं कॉलेज आया कॉलेज आने के बाद मुझे एक लड़की मिली स्नेहा स्नेहा चरसिया सेकंड ईयर मतलब अब थर्ड ईयर में सोशियोलॉजी मेरे साथ Anuj ends that bit with, quote, She came into my life and because of her, my life took a drastic turn. End quote. Before we dive into what this drastic turn of events was, let's find out who Sneha was. She never got an opportunity to release a 23-minute video before being killed. She never got an opportunity to talk about her life, loves and relationships. She never got a chance to plead her innocence. So we'll try our best to posthumously tell her story. 
And I think it's very important that you do that, Aran, because the more of these cases that I've covered in my time running this podcast, we recently, for example, covered the Neeraj Grover murder, Mm -hmm. which had another woman involved. I've come to realize how incredibly biased news can be against a woman. So Neeraj Grover was a case of a man shooting a man. None of the men had fantastic characters to speak with. They had anger issues and they were philanderers and flirts themselves. But every single news article from the time and even now talks about Maria being a flirt, being a vixen, kind of yeah. being this this woman that's enticed two men and caused this fight between them. And I can see how that could be true in this case as well. It's very important to dispel this myth that it's women who are the vixens in these situations when men commit crimes. The vilification of women, it's um, a story as old as time, right? The yeah. witch hunt. And there mm-hmm. is this just something appealing in... I don't even know if it's an outcome of patriarchal societies or if it's true across the world, across time. I don't know the cause for it, but you're so right. There is this certain vilification of female criminals or even female females uh, in a crime who are actually at the receiving end of a crime. And even with this case, I mean, the parents of Sneha went on to allege how her daughter is being tarnished um, as somebody who was a cheat, somebody who was a flirt. My point is, even if that was true, which I'm not saying it is, it does not matter. It does not matter. The victim is the victim, no matter what the gender is. But that's why we need to tell their side of the story. I don't know. People claim that women are cheaters and flirts and so deserve to die as if men are not cheaters and flirts. So either either kill everybody in that process just to be be equal. (laughs) Everybody should be dead. Yeah. Yeah. What a great legal system that would be. But the point being, she never got a chance to tell her side of the story. So we'll try our best to posthumously tell her story. Sneha Chaurasia hails from my noisy ancestral city, not my home city, my (laughs) noisy ancestral city of Kanpur. Nearly 400 kilometers away from SNU in Greater Noida, her family still lives in this melting pot of Uttar Pradesh. Rakhi Bose did a fantastic job for Outlook Media in capturing Sneha's life. Sneha was born to Raj Prakash Chaurasia, a father who beamed with pride towards his eldest daughter. Quote, Sneha was a very bright and special girl. She was an award-winning state-level athlete and had won several prestigious tournaments and competitions. She had won awards for singing, dancing, and was the editor of her school magazine. She was also her class topper. End quote. To get into SNU was a big deal for the family and for Sneha as well. It was, after all, a prestigious private university. The family's living room is studded with Sneha's accolades, medals hanging like garlands and trophies decorating the walls. They were a proud family and they had good reason to be. But at 2.30pm on May 18th, when the family got a call from someone at the university telling them that their beloved daughter had met with a grievous accident, their attendance was urgently required. It wasn't soon that Chaurasias discovered it was no accident that claimed their daughter's life, but a concocted homicide. Sneha's grandmother told Outlook, quote, She was our eldest daughter and she was so talented. She won so many awards for her state, her school and her college. Her loss is not just a loss to us, but a loss to the whole country. As for Anuj, Anuj Kumar hails from a city not too far from Kanpur and one that has extensively been covered on this podcast before, Amroha. 
a less developed part of Uttar Pradesh. And if this story is anything like the previous Amroha story we've covered, Ashwarya, <laughs> we know what's to come. Regardless of how, Anuj's family also lost a son. So, in media reports, I found that they kind of want to be left alone. I suppose they are just as shocked as the Chaurasias at their son's actions, both the injury he inflicted on Sneha and later on to himself. Let me play a snippet from his confessional video that summarizes Anuj's intentions, insecurities and philosophy. It is disturbing. For non-Hindi listeners, read along the last two paragraphs of the transcript in the show notes. मुझे नहीं पता क्या होगा क्या नहीं होगा बट मैं नहीं देख सकता ये चीज मैं बहुत टूट चुका हूँ सेल्फिस कह लो कायर कह लो दर्पोक कह लो मॉस्टर कह लो जो भी मुझे बोलना है बोल सकते हो मैं ये चीज मुझसे सहन नहीं होगी मुझे माफ कर देना हो सके तो ऐसे इंसान को जीने का कोई हक नहीं है जो कई लाइफ बर्बाद करे अभी वो एक इंसान के साथ है जिसके साथ है करण के साथ जिस तरीके से मैंने उनकी सारी चैट पढ़ी एक बार उसका लैपटॉप मुझे मिल गया था मैंने चैट्स पढ़ ली थी मुझे तभी पता चला था जिस तरीके से उससे बात करती है उसका भी यूज कर रही है कुछ टाइम बाद उसे भी छोड़ दी एक वो लाइफ खराब लोगों की लाइफ में आती रहे कनेक्ट होती रहे फिर जब अपना मन भर जाए छोड़ती रहे किसी न किसी को तो सजा देनी पड़ेगी ना किसी न किसी को तो पनिशमेंट देनी पड़ेगी नहीं सही हाँ इस चीज में मैं मॉन्स्टर भले से मुझे मॉन्स्टर बोल दो कुछ सही करने के लिए कई बार कुछ गलत करना पड़ जाता है तो वही मैं सही करने जा रहा हूँ इसके पेरेंट्स से भी माफी मांगता हूँ हाथ जोड़ के कि आपके बस यही बोलता हूँ कि आपकी लड़की आपकी लड़की कहलाने लायक नहीं है वो इंसान कहलाने लायक नहीं है और अपने पेरेंट्स से भी यही बोलता हूँ प्लीज हो सके तो मुझे माफ कर देना आपके लड़के ने सच्चे दिल से एक लड़के को प्यार किया था एक इंसान की कदर की कभी किसी के साथ गलत नहीं किया बहुत मेहनत की लाइक उसके साथ बहुत गलत हुआ तो मैं एक अच्छा बेटा तो नहीं बन पाया एक अच्छा इंसान जरूर बनूंगा कि एक ऐसे इंसान को सजा जरूर दे दूंगा जिसने काफी लोगों की लाइफ बर्बाद की है चलो चलते हैं अलविदा बाय Ishwara, let me read out a bit of the transcription because this really stands out to me, and I think it captures the mindset of the perpetrator. Hmm. Quote: "I leave this world. I don't know what will happen and what won't. I've suffered enough. Call me selfish. Call this a crime. Call me a coward or a monster. Call me whatever you want. I will not be able to handle everything that's going on. Forgive me if possible. A person who destroys other people's lives, like her, has no right to live." At the moment she's with a guy named Karan. One day I read all of their chats and just looking at the way she talks to him, she definitely also uses him. She leave him after a while and there is another life destroyed. She just keeps connecting with people and leaving them when she wants to. At the end of the day, someone will have to punish her. Why not me? Yeah, call me emotional, but to make things right, you need to do bad things. Jeez. And I'm going to do that. Firstly, I ask for forgiveness from her parents, but your daughter is not worth calling your daughter. She is not worthy of being called a human. And to my parents, I say the same. If it's possible, do forgive me. 
your son loved a person with an honest heart, cared for that person, never wronged anyone, and worked hard throughout my life. But what happened with him was wrong. I'll never be able to become a good son, but I might be a good human after I punish the person who ruined several lives. Goodbye. Jesus Christ. The conflation between killing someone and ending their life to someone possibly cheating on you, that's not even proven here, but at the very worst, possibly cheating on you. The fact that those two things somehow equal, kind of crazy, kind of insane, deeply disturbing the fact that there are men in progressive universities who think this way, walking among us and our friends and, you know, brothers of our friends and friends of our friends. Yeah. And the resolve in his voice and in his words, it, yeah. it's scary. Um, and I think we, we'll get to this later, Shwarya. But something I pride ourselves over doing is trying to get to the bottom, not only of the victim story, which of course, victim centering is our priority at Desi Crime. But it's equally important, in our opinion, to understand why the criminal does what they do. And right. in talking to Shwarya, I got to see a whole different side of Anuj and Sneha, mm. a side that he knew as a mentee. And so we'll get to that eventually. And that that the cognitive dissonance is something that struck him really hard because he remembers mm. a very different Anuj. He remembers a very different Sneha. Mm. And I think that's why our interview with him really speaks through the the beauty of good reporting of genuine reporting um, right. that I think we've been able to do for this episode, thanks to him and other people who've helped with this episode. So all of this said and done, Aryan, I mean, on its surface, it appears to be a relationship that went horribly wrong, right? Whoever's fault that was. And Anuj appears to be a really disturbed and disturbing individual. Was he, were they ever dating? Ashwarya, these same questions bothered me when I dove into the case. No information about these two prior to these events is available online or in the hmm. media. It drove me nuts. We forget that the criminal and the victim were regular people before the crimes occurred. What were they like then? And as I said, thankfully, I got all these nagging questions answered by someone who literally lived with Anuj in his dorm and spent several nights under his and Sneha's supervision. So let's cut back to my interview with Shorya, where he sheds light on what Anuj and Sneha were like and if they were dating. The answer is, they were. So to go back to 2022, when you had that internship um, with Anuj and Sneha being a part of it, how do you remember them? What was Anuj like? And, you know, vis-a-vis, -vis, what was Sneha like? So I'll start with Anuj because I spent most of my time with him. Anuj was... He was the typical vibe you get from the big jolly guy uh, who's just mm. carefree and, you know, he, he was, he was, he would get, we never really saw him get much serious about the work. I mean, he'd get things done, but most of the time it was mm. like he was just there to hang out with us, um, spend some time with us at night, you know, show us where the bathroom is and crack some jokes while he's at it. So he had quite a laid-back expression to him, and he was always with his friends. And um, along with his friends, he was always with Sneha. We got to see him with Sneha the most. Whenever we'd have any work going on, anything going on in the sidelines, both of them would leave. And then, you know, we'd just see them in the corner of our eye somewhere um, together. And Sneha, on the other hand, wasn't as carefree as Anuj. She was a little bit more um, reserved, a little bit... Um, more to the task, um, 
And I guess it, she took the role of what you would think a typical mentor would be like in that sense um, better. I mean, maybe not better, but more in the common sense of the word. And she was, she would get quite agitated sometimes, but most of the time she was pretty chill and it felt like that disconnect of, you know, this old university student trying to hang out with the kids yeah. was there. With Anuj, it seemed like it was just this guy and he had us in his room. <laughs> so the million dollar question in this case is, you know, whether they were dating. You spent a week with them, you got to live with one mm -hmm. of them, literally see uh, their daily proceedings. Many have denied that they were in a real relationship, including some of Sneha's family. So my question to you, the elephant in the room is, were they dating and how do you know that? Well, as per what they said, yeah, they were dating. Now, I don't see why they would have any reason to lie to us. And mm -hmm. they both knew that they had told, uh, that one of them had told us that they were dating. I'm pretty sure Sneha was the first one to tell the girl side of the group that she was dating. And then soon after, Anuj also let us know. But it was it was common fact that they were dating. We just didn't discuss it that much. So, Ishwara, contrary to many reports, we can with confidence say that these two were dating in 2022. That's something the family has disputed, the media is not sure about, but we have from a sort of first-hand account knowledge that they were dating in 2022. But when exactly did things begin to go sour? So sour that they culminated into the worst possible outcome. I asked Shorya if he sensed anything awry between the two when he was there. I remember in one of our preliminary conversations, you talked about this one night where, you know, all the interns, some of the students, you guys were sitting together and playing a game uh, reminiscent of Truth or Dare or something on those lines. And, uh, you know, you guys were talking about life and Sneha mentioned something that stood out to you. Could you, could you take me through that? What she said, what yeah, stood out to so you? Yeah, so quite often, late nights, after we'd wind up with all the work, we'd all go together, sit together. The girls would, the girls of our group would go with Sneha and the other female mentors to the girls' dorms, and the boys would go with Anuj. And before that, we'd have some free time together. Um, and one of these nights, basically, there was just a session of where the college students were telling our students about gossip from the camp, from the campus and stories. And we got to know about a few other people's relationships. And I got this information from my um, friend, actually. And she told me that there, that there were quite a few pairs in our group of mentors, but, but Sneha and Anuj were the ones that we knew the best. Mm -hmm. And as we went through each pair, um, Sneha was open with discussing everybody else's um, matters and relationships very enthusiastically and quite hmm. carefree and friendly with us. But when it came to her turn, um, I was distinctly told that she kind of dodged the question. And then later on, even when I brought it up with Anuj, at least when they were together, the question was always kind of pushed aside as something that, and she said that it was complicated and she hmm. just, it's a lot to explain. Hmm. In the months after your internship or mm -hmm. your course over there ended, uh, did you have any communication with either Anuj or Sneha? Texts, uh, phone calls, any of those? Yeah, there was some. So we had a group chat with all of us. 
and uh, about for a good two months after that, we'd have once in a while some catch-up sessions with some of them. It depended largely on who was closest to which mentor, but I got to hear from them occasionally, and many times they'd even um, send some stuff our way, some other work-related things mostly. But yeah, we definitely got to hear from from them, and we got their socials. At least I got their socials, so I always got to yeah. check up on them roughly what's going on with their lives. And considering that my brother studies in that university, I would get to go back there once in a while. And I actually met them once when I went back. And it was just a simple catch-up session. Uh, yeah. Simple, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? How's life? And we moved on. They just seemed like they were happy to meet me. And that was all. I didn't think there would be anything that complicated going on behind the scenes at the time. And how long after your um, course was this catch-up meeting with them? Uh, I think it was like uh, a few months, maybe three months. It was in the winter. Three months. It was in the winter. Um, and would you say it appeared as if they were still together in a relationship? Uh, I, I didn't meet them both together, so I wouldn't know. But I met Anuj and he seemed fine. He seemed like he was in a, in a little bit of a hurry to go somewhere. Uh, uh-huh. Sneha, on the other hand, I have no clue because she's the more reserved one. Yeah. And she just I just got a friendly handshake with her and moved on. So it, it, she could have been stressed about anything from a class right. to the situation itself. So. Yeah. Not normal university yeah. stuff. You know, With Sneha, like, I um, always took it as a matter of her keeping that topic reserved as just a matter of privacy, as anyone mm-hmm. would in that situation when they say it's complicated and not yeah. ask you to pry any further. So we just always blew it off. Can you comment on the time that you spent with them, um, both Anuj and Sneha, how did they interact with each other beyond just how they interacted with you individually? What were they together like? Because you said they accepted, uh, they shared with you that they were dating. And so did you see, uh, you know, young love play out? Did you see tension? What were they like together? What was that dynamic like? So we didn't see a lot of open affection from them, but every time they'd get a moment, and because we knew that they were dating, as those high school kids, everybody had their eye on them. Um, <laughs> so the moment they would go off to the side, Anuj would seem about exactly the same as he was with us. But Sneha, I guess she would uh, relax a bit and go out of that um, state of, I have a job and I'm a mentor. And it, she would, we would see her look, switch switch her mannerisms a little bit switch how she portrayed herself when she would go with him and they'd always go and stand off to the side and have their own little conversation but it never seemed like anything too out of the ordinary a couple of my friends once mentioned that it seemed like the relationship was a little bit awkward but at the time i just told them like that's just that's just how indian relationships go sometimes especially when you're in a group of students yeah in front of a group of students but one thing to note is we do know that um Every night, like because we of course had a had a curfew time, and and there there's a separate girls' dorm, a separate boys' dorm, and right. we assumed this was a normal college thing to do, of course. But at least the girls told us that at night, um, after they would all be in the room, Sneha would leave, and they all assumed it was to go meet Anuj because sometimes Anuj would also leave. I don't remember him leaving every night, but once in a while he would also go out past the time you know he wasn't supposed to, and we always assumed they were both meeting up. To and doing college student things. Doing college student things. 
basically he talks about Shwara things. It was weird, and she one night in like a truth and truth and dare game said their relationship was complicated. But he also talked about how they snuck out of the dorms at night and went out together, um, and doing college student things, so, you know, hooking up or whatever. So attesting to they were dating, but things were a little weird. So from what Shorya shared, up until the end of 2022 or beginning of 2023, it appears that this couple, despite its complications, as almost every couple out there faces, was pretty vanilla. Things began to take a darker turn in the months to follow. And this suspicion by Shorya is corroborated by the evidence as well. The following is an excerpt of an email Sneha sent to college officials named Tulika Chandra and Anshu Narendra Paliwal on March 14th of this year. Quote, It has been the fourth time now that he has shown violence upon me in a span of two months. There are scars on my body which are proof of the high level of violence. Also once, he had held my throat so hard that it choked me into an unconscious state. I am suffering from seriously bad mental health. I have started getting panic attacks due to this. Today, he has given me an open death threat and said that he will call up my parents and tell them all about our relationship. End quote. Wow. This email makes it belligerently obvious that something was very wrong in this relationship. And... Sneha reached out to the faculty to report this. She didn't want her parents to find out, but she knew something was going wrong. She was, according to her testimony, being physically abused. And to Shivnada University's credit, they did take action. Both Sneha and Anuj were adults, and so it was reasonable to respect their desire to keep this private. That's why the university provided counseling for the couple, and it appeared like things were on the mend. Some sources say that Anuj also received a quasi-restraining order to stay away from Sneha for a certain period of time. So Aran, I know it's possible that we don't have all of the facts at hand right now and obviously the investigation isn't complete. So we don't know how true these claims by Sneha were. We don't know things like how exactly the university responded. But is counselling enough for death threats by another student? Like, I don't know, if you're a university and these are the claims that are being made... You have kind of a threat on campus. I don't know if counseling is necessarily enough response. Ishwara, I uh, there were things beyond counseling that the university did, but at the same time, I am also sort of wondering how does a university respond to something like this? Because yeah, uh, yeah, how a, a high school responds is very different from how a university responds, right? We do not want a you know big brother state at a university the same way we do have at a school because at school there are minors, right? And so things can go to parents and be escalated. How exactly do you deal with adults having adult problems? And I think... I mean, the first step cannot be calling the police every time something goes wrong at no, a university. No, not the police, that... but what do you think about a suspension till there is an inquiry into the event? Right. And yeah, right. And so I was wondering this. I was confused as to what the best way to proceed is. But just an allegation shouldn't lead to suspension, right? Um, the university did take steps to counsel the couple, get them together and deal with their problems in that manner. And th- things did seem to be, that's what I'm saying, things seemed to be on the mend. They yeah. met together with, an, with a counsellor and it appeared like it resolved, right? Mm-hmm. And so if the university's knee-jerk response to an allegation, a suspension of the student being alleged, that lead to... A death threat allegation, I think, right. and I think again, that's way perhaps, more serious. But... 
again, I do not know the details and I agree yeah. with you. But A, we don't have all the facts in order right, about right. who was alleging what and what was being alleged so that, you know, you grasp somebody's attention. But mm-hmm. we do know that they got counseling and they, at least in the counseling session, seem to have worked through some of their discords. Yep. Anuja's side of the story, as detailed in the confession, revolves around infidelity. His claims are long and convoluted and to be frank, Ishwarya seem a little exaggerated. He accuses Sneha of sleeping around with a mess worker named Ashutosh, of emotionally abusing him and using him and then subsequently cheating with someone else, a certain Karan. And he mentions a slew of other guys involved in this saga. But the fact of the matter is, even if every single claim of his was 100% true, his actions are incongruent with his grievances. Violence is never the answer. And from what it appears, Sneha wanted to be out of this relationship and Anuj just couldn't accept that. I'll quote part of his confession that stood out to me. I think it captures this man's mind and his juvenile attachment issues. Quote, She deserves a punishment for her actions. I ruined my life for her. I did everything for her. People will say, why did you ruin your life for her? You should have just moved on. It's not that easy. When someone intrinsically gets connected to someone, starts believing that the person belongs to them, then it's not possible to move on. In the case of a mother and child, if anything happens to the mother, the son will remember for a few days and years, but will move on. It wouldn't affect him too much. But say something happens to the son, the mother will remember that forever. She'll cry for a lifetime. She'll cry until her last breath. Despite her son's deeds, she wouldn't leave her son. Even if her son is a terrorist, a mother never stops loving a son. Such people do exist. Now, people will say no, but that's because a mother gives birth to her son. But you guys were just a couple. To that I say, no. There are still people like me in this world who once connect with someone, forever stay connected to them. They can't leave it. End quote. It just seems, I don't know, this, oh my God, firstly... Everything of this reeks as though this man was a 14-year-old boy. Exactly. It seems so short-sighted, like the whole my life is ruined and I gave up everything logic. Clearly, you didn't give up everything. Clearly, your whole life wasn't ruined. But the short-sightedness of that is something we've all experienced when we were very young. We felt as though our lives have ended and we felt as though we've given everything up. And life is incredibly long and that's not true. The, the whole she deserves to be punished kind of narrative is very troubling the comparing yourself to the love between a mother and a child deeply disturbing i mean talking comparing her to the son being a terrorist and the mother continuing to love the child like the parallels here are absolutely jaw dropping i don't Ishara, that's exactly why I started with this episode with this is the story of a man trapped in the shell of puberty because it seems like he is it seems like he you know their love story you know, had you just given me the plot to their love story, I would have been like, what a boring story you've come up with, Ashwara. It's literally every other story mm-hmm. there is. Mm-hmm. But it's how it was interpreted, inferred, and then acted upon that completely changes, you know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe he was wronged. I'm not even saying he wasn't. But it's yeah, the no, incongruence of the grievance with the response. And again, with the sort of the sense of ownership, you know, she was yeah. mine. And once mm-hmm. I am connected and... Um, 
kind of blows your mind and he's literally comparing you know the funniest thing to me he's literally comparing his year long relationship with sneha to that of a mother and child yeah no that's part funny makes me want to laugh but it's part really really tragic and sad it's like that nirbhaya case lawyer who yep, said such exactly. ridiculous things about his opinions on women that it's so ridiculous that you can't help but laugh at the at the sense at the state of some indian men exactly no there are so many parallels here the fact that you can compare a woman to a child and yourself to the parent like exactly the paternalistic there are, there are attitude so many, the paternalistic yeah, the attitude, attitude towards, towards another the woman counterpart so gender yeah You were kind enough to share with us some pictures uh, which have both you, Sneha, and Anuj in them, and you get to get a, you you get to see a glimpse of their lives prior to the news having a whiff of who they are, and so you see the these happy college students, just like any other ordinary college student. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten a glimpse of the confession video. Yeah, yeah. The photo that you sent me and the confession video. <laughs> I see two different Anujes. Do you see the same Anuj in the confession video? No, I saw two contrastingly different people. So unless he changed drastically in just his mannerisms over that time, it really seemed like in that video it wasn't so much a personal um, message to his close ones and close people and his loved ones, but it was more so like a almost a scripted. formal proper rant and as if he was building his case almost before he had to go hmm. rather than rather than letting his emotions out last minute because the way he talked and the way he maintained himself and i guess this is a small thing to note but when i was with him usually he was quite he only conversed in hindi and hmm. that's how he felt comfortable but in the video he quite often tries to it almost seems like he's forcing himself to be proper and and you know get his case out well and his facts out into the world yeah it's a very indian tendency to uh, revert to english when you <laughs> yeah definitely want to be taken seriously because of whatever sort of internalized complexes we have um is the media portrayal of anuj consistent with the anuj junior and sneha like because you know we come across these people when when in the realm of true crime post the events that occurred and so our entire opinion of them is formed you know after the fact we forget that that person was a human for several years mm-hmm. before the media ever caught up with them and so what would you say about the way the media has gone on to portray anujins now which in no way is justifying the actions of but is just trying to course. understand the head of the criminal Um, well, at le- the media, at least, it seemed like they didn't give much thought to portray Sneha's character, considering she is seen as the victim of the situation, of course. Um, but a lot of places I saw Anuj being labeled as someone who is really struggling with aggression and, um, you know, a troubled past, and the kind of person, at least from the articles I read, if the name wasn't written there. Sneha and Anuj I definitely wouldn't know who they're talking about Anuj procured a country made gun colloquially known as a katta in Uttar Pradesh a month before his planned murder with the help of three fugitives that the police recently nabbed 
Quote, one is an ambulance driver who befriended him. The others include the ambulance driver's employer and his brother. These were the people who supplied Anuj with the weapon, according to Deputy Commissioner of Police Greater Noida, Saad Mia Khan. An FIR has been filed and the investigation is still ongoing. The family is feuding with the university officials for their lack of security and improper handling of the situation. Ashwara, I know this battle between the family will continue for a while, but what could the university do to prevent this, if at all anything? I don't know. I think that's a really tough question. I don't know. I've obviously never been involved in the running of a university. There are so many students. And unlike high school, like you said, you're dealing with adults. So the matters are drastically different. Um... I don't know. I don't know if screenings at the time of admissions is enough. I don't know if like counseling is enough. I I have no idea. What do you think? Ashwara, one thing that I think um, that that is on everybody's mind is the fact that a gun was brought inside the university, and it stands as this. It stands out as a detail um, because the the idea of students possessing guns is obviously troubling. I thought about it a little and then I asked Shorya's elder brother Ishan, who was a student at mm-hmm. Shivnada University, and I mm-hmm. asked him, is it easy to bring a gun inside the university? And his honest answer was, yes, it is easy, but not because there is no security on campus, but because by the virtue of being a university, you can't check if somebody wants to hide and bring something in. It's rather easy. There's no way that you can check every single backpack passing every single moment. Yeah, I don't have literally, I was going to counter that by saying I've, I've literally heard of friends and extended family members and family members walking into all sorts of public spaces with guns to protect themselves. I've heard of some walking into malls with guns. I've heard of some walking into hotels with guns. And these are places with a lot of security, like compared to the US where there is no security in front of right. airports before entering hotels or airports or wherever. India has a lot of security, but you can't, you simply cannot prevent everything. And of course, the university is now taking actions for heightening the security. But I mm-hmm. frankly believe that this could have happened at any educational institution in India. If somebody, the the, the problem doesn't lie in security, but in the mindset yeah. of the individuals perpetrating such crimes against women, frankly. But as I said, this battle will be ongoing. There will be, the family will po- point out how the university could have dealt better. The university will defend themselves. And we aren't lawyers for either of the sides. The family, Ishwara, even wrote a letter to Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath. And the letter states, quote, The university administration holds significant influence, which is why the concerned police station has not taken any action against them. No action has been taken regarding the FIR filed based on the complaints submitted by our family. We have no hope of receiving justice from them. Therefore, we request the CMO to take notice of our case and issue appropriate guidelines to ensure justice for our daughter and us. End quote. So the battle will continue for a while and the investigation will unfurl as it will. But whatever it was, whatever happened in the months since Shorya met these two and May 18th, that span of six to eight months, we might not know the details, but whatever it was, it drove this college student to kill a woman he claimed to ardently love. But is that love? Or is that selfishness? He compared his love for Sneha to that of a mother to a child. But was his love really unconditional? Would a mother kill her son if she felt wronged? Everything is fair in love and war, is well and good in Shakespearean maladies. But reality mustn't allow for these false, overly romanticized notions of love. This is not love. 
Sneha was killed in cold blood. That was not love. A family lost its eldest daughter. That wasn't love either. So until the next episode of Desi Crime, stay crazy, stay desi.